Welcome to this edition of Community Matters Podcast, where we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of Community Associations Institute's Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley Chapter. In this episode of Community Matters, we'll be talking about pest control, dealing with summer pests, and how you can keep your condominium, home, and common areas free of pests. My guest today is John D. Domenico with AMN Pest Control, a 63-year-old family-owned business. AMN is a full-service company handling termites, bedbugs, roaches, ants, rodents, and wildlife for commercial and residential customers throughout Delaware, Montgomery, Chester, and Philadelphia counties and southern New Jersey. Welcome, John, and thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Tony. Before we start, I'd like to recognize the sponsor of this podcast episode, the law firm of Young & Harros, located in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. Young & Harros specializes in helping property owner associations and small and medium businesses with community association, business, and business litigation law. Find out more at www.eastpenlaw.com. So, John, um, what type of pests do you get the most calls about at this time of year? We're, we're recording this in June, so we're almost at summertime. So this time of year, Tony, we get a lot of calls about termites, carpenter ants, uh, mosquitoes and ticks, ants, and bats as well. Um, obviously, there's different solutions for each one of these problems, and we customize a game plan to resolve the issues for each individual customer and we like to try to educate our customers on why we're doing it the way we're doing it and how we're going to resolve the problem. How does a homeowner or, or a community association manager know that termites are present? What are some of the signs we should look for? The most common sign that people would see would be a swarm of termites in spring and early summer. So when the swarm happens, they'll see winged termites popping out in sometimes just one location, other times many locations. Um, The important thing is that the property manager or homeowner save a sample of that insect or take a picture of it so that we can positively identify it before prescribing a treatment. Sometimes ants can also have swarmers and and they can get confused with termites. So how do you treat for termites? In most cases, all treatment is done from the outside. Termites live in the soil and they come in and out of the structure, collecting cellulose from the wood and feeding it to the colony in the ground. So in most cases, we do a termiticide injection into the soil around the perimeter of the building. The termites pick it up and spread it throughout the colony. There's also baiting systems for termites. And in some situations it's the right thing to do if you're close to a body of water or a pond or something sensitive but economically liquid termite treatment makes more sense the installation and monitoring of a bait station is much more expensive and liquid treatment is much less expensive up front and the annual renewals are much less because they don't require frequent monitoring like the bait system Um, liquid treatments last 10 to 15 years in many cases it'll make fiscal sense in the long run to even replace your baiting system with a liquid treatment because the renewals are so much less expensive annually that you could really save some money in the long term. Let me ask you about uh, termite prevention. How can homeowners and community managers prevent termites from occurring in the first place 
and, and prevent the damage that they occur. There's a couple of things. Uh, annual termite inspections are a great way to catch termite activity early before any significant structural damage occurs. Um, keeping wood piles away from the house, taking care of water problems. Termites will always be drawn to a wet area over a dry area. So keeping things dry, not having wood to soil contact outside of your house are ways that you can prevent that from coming. Sometimes it's just no rhyme or reason and they show up randomly and that's why the annual inspection is a good idea. Let's talk about carpenter bees for a second. Carpenter bees are known to cause damage to exterior wood. Is there anything that can be done to eliminate them and to prevent them from coming back the next year? Yes, there's a couple different things we can do. So carpenter bees are very unusual because they don't have a nest like a regular bee. They live in a solitary fashion. So one carpenter bee drills one hole, he lays an egg inside that hole. If you allow that to just continue the next year, that egg will hatch into a bee and his instinct will be to drill another hole. Uh, so what we do is we go up and treat the wood, we treat the openings to eliminate the carpenter bees for that year. Um, in order to prevent it going into the future, you need to either cap the wood or paint will repel carpenter bees as well. So if you have a piece of fascia board that's painted on the bottom edge in the front, but not on the back because people assume you're never going to see that, they'll drill into the back. So some of the things that will stop it in the painting process are asking your painters to paint the edges of the wood even that you cannot see. And that'll, that'll prevent them from wanting to drill into that. Do carpenter bees have predators other than you, the exterminator? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Um, woodpeckers are their biggest predator. So many times, unlike the carpenter bee who drills a very nice, neat hole that looks like someone stuck a drill in the wood, and it's typically in a hidden spot, the woodpecker will come along and drill three big oblong holes right into their gallery and eat the carpenter bee and the egg as well. So uh, another reason to get on the carpenter bees early in the season before the woodpeckers get to it and create more wood damage. That's a really good point. I had never heard of that before. So woodpeckers can actually compound the damage caused by carpenter bees. Yeah, and it's much worse in appearance too because it's right out in the open and they just drill torn up terrible looking holes right across the board. That sounds like an expensive problem. <laughs> it can be, it can be. Are carpenter bees dangerous to people or pets? That's a great question. It's a, it's a very common question. Uh, because carpenter bees buzz around really fast and they make a lot of noise and they're big, people get scared of them so they walk out of their house and if they're by the front door and it comes flying by you, of course you're going to be nervous about that. Um, but carpenter bees, only the female has a stinger. They both have, male and female, have chewing mouth parts, obviously, to chew the holes in the wood. Um, but in my 27 years of doing this, I've been very, very close to carpenter bees on many occasions. I've never been bitten, I've never been stung, and I don't know anyone who ever has. Um, so if you can keep that in mind when they're buzzing by until we get out to get rid of them, they're, they're not going to harm anyone. They're not going to sting your dog or your kids or they have no desire to be aggressive. How do you visually tell if it's a carpenter bee versus a hornet or a wasp or another type of bee? Because he wears a little tool belt, the carpenter <laughs> I, bee. I thought That's you were going to say you know. that. <laughs> no, actually, um, 
The easiest way to tell without looking at them closely, which in most cases you're not going to be able to, it, it looks similar to a bumblebee, uh, but it has a it has more of a, a furry uh, exterior than a bumblebee. And usually you're going to see them hovering around slowly in the same area. You will also sometimes, even though you can't see the hole all the time, you may see stains on the house where they have uh, excreted the wood that they've chewed and the excrement will actually stain the pro stain the wall right below where the hole is. It's almost like a little splatter mark that you'll see. Okay, good to know. Um, mosquitoes and ticks. Let's let's uh, move on to the to this other pest. How do you reduce mosquito and tick populations around a development or specific areas around a property like pools and patios where people are naturally going to gather in the summer? There's a, there's a few things you can do on your own initially is prevent standing water. Don't leave things outside like bird baths or even a flower pot that's collecting water or a child's toy that water's sitting in when it rains. Turn things like that upside down. Uh, mosquitoes will lay their eggs and larvae in the, in the stagnant water and breed right sometimes right on your patio. Um, and with the ticks, it's keeping the lawn manicured um, keeping it tight because ticks like to hang around in tall grass. Um, but this time of year, it is a big problem, especially for people's pets with the ticks. Um, so in conjunction with those kind of things, we can also do monthly treatments uh, from April to October. The same material is used for mosquitoes and ticks, so it's kind of a combo treatment where we treat the perimeter of patios, yards. We even have, uh, for mosquitoes, we have um, little donuts that we can put in standing water in a uh, basin or, or a, a storm drain area where water sits a lot um, that will prevent them from being able to lay their larvae in there. Um, so we, we're, we're pretty successful at keeping mosquitoes and ticks to a minimum around people's homes as long as they can do their part and we can do the treatment and not keep too much stagnant water sitting around. Are, are there any natural or environmentally friendly alternatives to treatments or treating for some of the pests that we've been talking about? Yes, uh, almost, all, almost all the pests have natural ways of resolving the problem. Um, mosquitoes and ticks particularly, there is an all natural material that we can use around your property and it is effective. Uh, it does not last as long as traditional chemicals, so it does have to be applied more frequently. Um, it can be a little bit more expensive because of that, because you need to be there maybe every three weeks versus every month to keep that going. Um, but it's very safe, and, and it does produce results. And um, many of the many of the of the pests that we treat for, we always try to use the safest, most natural ways of, of doing things. And when there are materials that have to be used that are not natural materials, um, then we obviously take precautions and let the resident know, hey, you, you need to be out of the house or you need to be off your lawn or whatever the case may be. We let them know that well in advance of doing any kind of treatment. Let me ask you about ants, which can really be a nuisance in the home, especially when they manage to get inside. What's a what's a really effective way to control pesky little ants? So there's a couple ways. Uh, first of all, you need to use a multi-pronged approach to, to get rid of ants. Uh, treatment of the outside is number one. If you have ant activity outside, it, it's most likely going to get inside at some point. Um, 
So we treat the exterior, and then on the interior, we use a, a gel bait uh, that's injected out of a syringe-type tube that you put in the line of the ant. So if they're walking across your kitchen counter, you put some dabs of the bait, little pinpoint applications, and they'll walk right to it, feed on it, and then take it back to the colony and feed it to the rest of the ants, which is their nature to collect food and take it back to the colony. Um, so even if the colony is somewhere where you can't see it in a wall void or under a floor, they're gonna deliver the material back there. And speaking of safe materials, there's another one that's you know, virtually harmless to pets and people, but still very effective. There's no odor involved. No one even knows you were there, except that the ants are dying off. So John, when people talk about pest control, the topic of bats, I think, rarely comes up. I don't think people really consider bats uh, to be within the pest control field, but they are, and they are a nuisance. So how do bats get into a structure? And more importantly, how do you get them out? So that's an interesting question, and it does come up a lot, believe it or not, in condominiums and homeowners associations. Um, most of the bats in our region of Pennsylvania are called the small brown bat, and uh, bats are opportunists, so they don't make holes in your house. An opening has to exist that they can take advantage of, and what they like to do is fly up under a warped piece of fascia board or barge board and get inside the wall. Uh, whether it's cinder block or brick, they want to get behind that wall and they want to live right near the opening so they can exit and enter easily. And they will breed there and have their babies in that location. So bats in the fall um, start to hibernate and then over the winter they breed, they mate, and then in the spring they breed the babies. Um, so an interesting thing about bats is bats are federally protected uh, you can't just exclude them from a property anytime you want. Um, you do have to wait until the babies are old enough to fly, which is usually about mid-July, early August. And what we do is we go in and we seal up all the openings except for where we determine to be the main entry point, And we put up a one-way door that they can fly out, but they can't fly back in. And we leave that up for a couple weeks, make sure all the bats have gotten out, and then we seal up that final opening. Uh, we also treat for bat bugs, which is a parasite that lives on bats that is very, very similar to a bed bug, almost looks identical. Um, they don't bother people unless you take away the bats and leave them there, and sometimes then they're looking for a host. So you have to treat chemically for those insects. The biggest hazard is the guano. So they'll leave guano in the attic sometimes. If it's an attic that's shut off from the house and nobody ever uses it, you can let it disintegrate there and it won't hurt anybody. Just the guano sitting there doesn't hurt anybody. It's when the guano gets disturbed and the particles get into the air and you breathe it in, you can get blood diseases, histoplasmosis, and all kinds of different illnesses from that. So if you have an attic that you use, it needs to be carefully cleaned out of there by a professional um, after the bats have been excluded. One of the trickiest things about bats is folks will see bats in December when they turn their heat up real high because it got cold and the bats don't have a calendar so they just feel it hot and they wake up and sometimes show up in the house um, and customers don't understand why you can't get the bats out of my house now in in uh, December <laughs> and you just because federal regulations but also because of the fact that you want to make sure 
that all the bats get out. So you have to wait till mid-July, early August to know that the babies are big enough to fly out on their own. You haven't harmed their reproductive cycle. You haven't done anything to hurt the bats. The bats are super important to our environment. They eat millions of mosquitoes every day. If we didn't have bats, our mosquito problem would be through the roof. Um, so they are really important to the environment and bats are becoming more and more um, endangered. Uh, recently, they've been finding hundreds and thousands of bats in caves in Pennsylvania and New Jersey with a mysterious white mold disease. Uh, scientists are not exactly sure where this is coming from, but they're finding whole colonies of bats dead. Uh, so we're very sensitive about protecting the environment and protecting bats in particular and doing it the right way so that we're not hurting any bats. And so we're doing the best thing for the customer and really making sure that the bat exclusion process goes correctly. It sounds like a really complicated problem. I hope I never have bats in the belfry. <laughs> I hope that you don't either. <laughs> um, I understand you have an unusual employee at AMN Pest Control. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yes, we do. We have a special employee, and his name is Quincy. He is half black lab, half border collie. He is a canine detection dog. He is a NASDAQA certified, and what that means is uh, NASDAQA is the national association of scent detection dogs and he gets certified annually uh, by a third party test to go out and prove that he can find bed bugs in their eggs he's trained to smell the pheromones of live bed bugs in their eggs uh, we got quincy about five and a half years ago from a company in florida that was started by some ex-fbi dog trainers and they saw the need for scent detection dogs for bed bugs in hotels and condos and apartments and they started using the same principles that they apply to training dogs how to smell drugs or bombs to teaching dogs how to smell the pheromone of bed bugs which the pheromone is strictly confined to bed bugs they they only bed bugs have that smell um so quincy is great because he can go through a ton of units in a day, he could do 50 to 60 units in a few hours accurately and quickly and tell you if there's bed bug activity in there or not. So some of the situations that we use that in, particularly in a high-rise condominium setup, is if you start to have various bed bug problems in different locations, it makes you wonder, do we have other units that we don't know have bed bugs? So you run Quincy through, and the job that would take a person weeks and weeks and it may not even be that accurate, he can do in a few hours to check 50, 60 units and tell you here's where they are, here's where they're not. So some residents end up feeling very happy when the dog says everything's okay. And unfortunately, some residents are not happy when he says, you know, you have them, but at least we know and we can get on it and, and uh, you know, do the treatment in the right places and spend the association's money in the right places so they're not just doing preventative treatments all over a building. You can really hone in on, here's where the problem is, here's where we need to do the treatments. Well, Quincy sounds like a great addition to your staff. Sounds like he does a good job. He's fantastic. Before we wrap up, uh, let me ask you one final question. What's the most common question uh, people ask you about quest, uh, pest control? Any treatment that we do, the most common question is, is it safe for my kids and my pets? And as pest control professionals, we feel a huge responsibility for the safety of people and animals as well as the environment. Uh, 
Uh, we're not out there trying to nuke everything with pesticides. That's not our goal. We're always going to try to use the least amount of the safest materials and we're going to use them in accordance with federal regulations and just good common sense. Uh, our technicians are all state certified. They've all passed tests with the Department of Agriculture to educate themselves on what is safe to do, what's not safe to do. Um, so anything that we're doing in or around your house, if there are precautions that need to be taken prior to or after treatment, we're always going to tell you that in advance. And in most cases, there's no precautions you need to take. We're just going to do the safest thing possible. Um, I think that a misconception that people have about pest control is they think, oh, these guys want to spray everything everywhere. And it's not that way at all. We're, we're very well trained. We're very aware of our responsibility to protecting people and their pets and the environment every day we go out there and treat these problems. Well, John, I'm glad we had some time uh, to talk about these common pests that cause problems in homes and community associations. I want to thank you for taking some time to talk to our listeners about this topic and providing valuable insights on the topic of pest control. If you'd like more information on services provided by AMNT Pest Control, please visit them online at www.aament.com. That's A-A-M-E-N-D-T.com. I also want to recognize our sponsor one more time, the law firm of Young & Harrows in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-pa-delval.org. Thank you for listening. <laughs>